All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, hope everyone had a great 4th of July, a safe 4th of July, and safe travels home for everyone. Uh, we're recording this on another balmy Sunday here in uh, Minnesota. Uh, joined today with Coach Joe Berger from Edina. Coach, thanks for joining today. No problem, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, first, first things first, coaching Wikipedia page. Coach, uh, talk to us where you're from, where you played, and how your coaching career led you to the Hornets. Uh, grew up or went to high school in Minnetonka. Um, played under John Hedstrom there. Uh, went to college at University of Minnesota. I played, I, I'd say I wasted a year at Hamlin, um, thinking I was a college basketball player. Uh, that coaching staff got let go. I basically wanted to catch on there, you know, work hard four years and, and maybe get a GA spot out of that or something like that. Uh, Coach Gillis there at the time. That staff left and, you know, I was kind of looking, looking at where to go and decided instead of paying private school tuition, I'd go to University of Minnesota. Uh, went there and that led me to uh, volunteering at Holy Family for my first year of coaching. Just kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do after graduation. Didn't know if I wanted to go to law school. Um, really didn't know what I wanted to do at all. Fell in love with coaching with Matt Tooley. Uh, a couple years there, then John Hitch, my high school coach, reached out, brought me over there and, and learned a ton from him. Uh, that was 2007. And then a coaching stint at Hamlin back to Holy Family for a head coaching job for three years. And then that led me to Edina, uh, going into my eighth year at Edina now. So you've been at a private school in Holy Family and obviously one of the larger uh, public schools in Edina. Talk about the difference between, uh, you know, coaching or just being in the, in the education system within a private school versus uh, a school like Edina. Yeah, private, private was great. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a much different school community um smaller class sizes and all that you get to really know your guys when they get to that those high school years um you know obviously the benefit of Edina is is our youth association and and getting in and meeting these kids when they're in you know third fourth grade and and now that I've been there you know almost eight years just recognizing kids from youth camps in fourth grade and and that's that's definitely the, the biggest difference between the two um administrative sport both places have been great um but yeah, I just, I, I think the benefit of Edina so far, um, I, I just love the, um, you know, youth responsibility and, and getting to know that those kids when they're, they're much younger ages. You, you mentioned your, your short stint at Hamlin. Uh, talk about what you learned. Cause obviously you taught, you coached, uh, you're involved at high school, uh, with, Holy, with, uh, Holy family and then Minnetonka, then went to Hamlin for a stint. Then you bounced back to Holy family. So talk about what you learned at that uh, your trip at Hamlin and the college experience that you were able to bring to the high school game. Yeah, we, we had a good staff there. Uh, it's where I met Chris Hopkins. Um, you know, obviously he's, he's an East coast guy. He was, you know, experienced at West Virginia, such a knowledgeable coach that, you know, the X's and O's portion of, of college basketball was, it was kind of at a different level. And, and that year that I was there, um, just those meetings in that coach's office with Nelson Whitmore, Chris, and, and, and just kind of bouncing ideas and stuff off of each other. That was definitely just seeing the game in a, in a different way of having two full-time coaches there that their entire job was just to watch film and, and watch recruits films and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it's stuff that high school coaches don't really have time to do. Um, and, and that's what I'd say I took from that experience is just understanding the importance of, of how dedicated to film study you had to be. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's what I took from that and brought to the high school level. So film study, that, that's a good transition here. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if the late conference does film exchange, but I'm sure you're getting a lot of film on your opponents. I mean, everyone, everyone's, yep. everyone, it, you know, it is what it is. I, 
I, I'm, I'm a proponent that like football weeks, you just have a big, large pool and you're able to um, watch anyone's film and deal, not deal with the hassles of, of reaching out to people. But talk about, you know, obviously it's not college level film watching, but how, how much film do you watch for an opponent uh, and yourselves? And then what sort of information or what kind of, what sort of film do you break down for your guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I watch a ton of film. Huddle's been great. Um, thanks to Schnettler at, at YZ last year. It was the first year that we just had a conference share plan um, where instead of having to track down film, all these guys, it's just like we all understood we're getting it, we're getting it from elsewhere. We're, we're all, we've all seen each other play. Let's just make it easy on everybody else. Um, I'll still get out and scout live, um, but just, you know, nothing's better than just, you know, huddle on the iPad and, and you know, late at night just being able to get, get a glimpse of who you're playing that week. Um, with our guys, we, my assistant Brian Young, where it's unbelievable, um, and, and just putting highlights together and packages together of just not boring guys with hour and 15 minute film sessions. I mean, we're in and out 25 minutes, um, clipping stuff together and just seeing opponents' tendencies and stuff like that. Um, we use it with our guys, you know, we teach a lot off of film, whether it's watching practices that we filmed or, or watching our own games and, and just, you know, correctable mistakes and stuff like that. Um, but I'd say, you know, twice a week, we're good for 25 minutes, to a half hour in the film room before practice. And then, um, you know, my coaches and I, and especially Youngworth is, uh, is grinding over film all week. So you are in, uh, just, uh, <laughs> one, the hard, the hardest conference and hardest section in the state. So how do you keep your guys hungry, uh, throughout the season and how do you just uh, keep them mentally resting? There's no off night with you, with your conference and you add a St. Michael and a Buffalo to your conference this past year who are, you know, four more tough games that you have to face as well. So just talk about what goes into, you know, the, the mental side of the game and some of those soft skills of knowing that you have just a grind of a, a conference schedule, but then also with your section, I think having five teams in the top 10 in the QRF or 4A. Uh, just what goes yeah. into to that with your guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of our coaching philosophy when it comes to wins and losses in the regular season. Um, and I think that helps, um, you know, before Buffalo and St. Michael, Albert Bill joins. I mean, I had, you know, 18 non-conference schedule games to, to put on our schedule. Um, I could have easily given our guys, you know, 21 season after 21 season, depending on who we were playing. Going through our section is, is a gauntlet. We're going to try to play the best teams in the state um, in addition to what we have for late conference. And our guys know the ultimate goal at the end of the year is, you know, I don't care if we limp in as a seven seed because in our section, you know, the 2-7 game, that's been competitive the last four years. Um, we need to rattle off three wins in March when it matters. And we just need to be playing our best basketball when it matters. And I want to be able to look our guys, you know, look our guys in the eye at section semi section finals and be like, we played better teams. We've, you know, we're tested and, and we're ready to go. Um, rather than just kind of being blindsided by a super talented team in, in a big game. You mentioned that you're, uh, you, one, of the, one of the parts of what's nice about being at Edina is you have the youth association and kids now you've seen in fourth grade. Uh, they come up and, you know, they're now in your, your program at the high school level. What is your involvement with the youth, with the youth program in Edina? Uh, it's, it's great. The responsibilities that they allow, you know, Jamie Gar Chapman and I to have, the head girls coach. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to change some things and, and, and sort of, you know, bridge our programs a little bit better in more creative ways than we have in the past. Um, as of right now, you know, we'll, we'll run the youth tryouts. Um, they bring in independent evaluators to, to place kids on teams and stuff like that. But that's just a great opportunity for us to just get in front of every travel basketball player. Um, you know, we're, we're in on board meetings. Right now, we're looking to create a, a director of player development 
um, which is, you know, something that uh, the board is in full support of, of just kind of giving, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of giving a, a full stipend coaching position where it's just th that person works very closely with me, knows how I want to run things. And it's not, you know, set plays or anything like that. It's just our terminology, um, our drills, uh, a small pocket of, of the drills we do. And then that person kind of acts as a liaison between my high school program and goes to, you know, five youth practices a week and, 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 and kind of is a coaching resource for our travel coaches. Um, cause what we found is that, you know, we'll do our annual, you know, coaches clinic and, and stuff like that. And then I get busy with my season. These coaches are busy every weekend. Then there's no connection of, you know, how we do things or checking up on people and, and to have the support of the EVA to just, you know, basically pay a coach that is just, you know, not coach of one individual team, but just a program wide coach uh, to kind of keep things in line is great. Uh, I saw you posted that on Twitter looking for ideas a few days ago about ways that people bridge that gap. Have you yep. heard anything that you that you're willing to share? I know that the, maybe not every youth association has the money to bring in a paid uh, coach yep. to bridge that gap. What are some things that people have reached out to you with? I think the the one the the huddle password and just sharing that with everybody because we we do so much like we said we just talked about so much with film. Um, to just you know we film our practices. We obviously film every single one of our games. Um. And just having having a coach's login for our huddle account for all of our travel coaches, just to you know look up things every once in a while, and and that's just an additional layer that I can add to that you know preseason coaches clinic of just you know here's my contact information, this is what you guys can you know look forward to and and, and see on film if you want to watch any of our practices, and then reach out if you have questions. Um, but yeah, I'd say you know just just to be more creative with film, and and you know that kind of inspired us to to think as, as a board of just, you know, a video library of drills and stuff like that, that we do that coaches can, you know, go in, log in. And, and, you know, when all of us are struggling in January and February to keep things creative, to have a database where, where our travel coaches can go in and, and try to find new drills and live in a practice a little bit. I can just see Bryce Tesdall emailing all of your youth coaches for access to your, uh, <laughs> your huddle youth. account to, 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 hack, to hack into some of that stuff. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. Bryce is pretty well versed in, in what we're doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, with you, Diana, you mentioned that there's, uh, you know, I had, I had experience for a year and I was student teaching at Southview middle school and I was on with yep. the, uh, with the ninth grade staff there for a year. I know you had some of the guys that I coached when we crossed paths up in Grand Rapids, you know, handful of years ago now. Uh, and, and there's obviously well, well known, there's a, there's a lot of money and there's a lot of, it's very affluent school district that you're in. So how do you find ways to, um, manage or work with the, the various uh, stakeholders that are involved, maybe in the, in the youth association and in the nine through 12 program. Yeah. The communication's huge there. Um, you know, the, these parents have a vested interest in their kids. And, and I remember when I got the job, you know, everyone was just kind of like, Oh, we Dinah and, and just the stigma that's attached to that. And, and now that I've been there, honestly, it's, it's such a benefit. I know that the trade-off is going to be occasionally I'm going to have to communicate a little bit with a parent. I set expectations, obviously, pretty clearly in my preseason meeting, um, you know, my pack meeting with families. But, but what I get, the benefit I get, I get such coachable kids that are, that are raised the right way that, you know, we can focus, you know, fortunately, focus on the basketball stuff. And obviously, I'm there as, you know, a resource to get them through tough times, get them through school stuff and anything they need. But they have such a, you know, a good support system that that's the trade-off any day. Like, I get well-raised kids. Well, at the same time, yeah, I've got to, you know, I got to talk to parents and, and very concerned parents now and then. And, and it's just, you know, it, as long as you kind of communicate that, what the expectations are up front, it, it, you know, luckily for me, knock on wood, it hasn't been an issue in eight years. So 
um, you know, set those expectations early and, 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 you know, not be the coach that kind of like tuck tails and, and runs out of the gym when a game is over and stuff like that. And just kind of, you know, go out of your way to, um, go out of your way to talk to the parents, go out of your way to talk to your kids off the floor and, and, you know, you'll be fine. Good stuff. It's good. Stuff. Uh, you know, I know that you, I know there's a handful of youth kids, uh, you in the Adina association that will end up at the build. Uh, and I know there's a pretty good relationship with, um, you know, some of the kids who go to Benilde and they're still, you know, closely connected to the Edina Youth Association. So what are some ways that someone who's wanting to bridge the gap between uh, your youth association and the high school program, while also knowing that there's kids that you probably know by sixth or seventh grade that that's a Benilde kid who's not going to end up in my program. So what are ways that you kind of balance that off knowing that you have kids that are, you know, going to go end up, end up going the private school route? That's where, you know, coaching a Holy Family benefited me because obviously I had kids there you know, I was trying to run camps and stuff like that. And you would just run camps and, you know, you have Shaska kids, you have Chanhassen kids, Minnetonka kids. Um, and then there'd be kids identified early on in those associations. Um, that, oh, that kid's going to go to Holy Family. And then all of a sudden you have like an A or B level kid that, that you know, is, is getting placed on a C team in that association because, you know, whatever rumor is, they're not going to help their high school program moving forward. And, and I remember being a head coach there and just how unfair is that for a kid? You know what I mean? It's just enjoy your sixth grade, seventh grade year. And if you're a kid going to Blake, if you're a kid, I know that's going to Benilde, you know what I mean? Just you know, play and, and, and establish relationships with the Adina kids that you've been playing with since fourth grade. And then, you know, I think with Jerry Pettinger at, at the AD at Benilde, we've made an effort to, to get each other on the schedule because I think that that's important that, you know what I mean? These, these kids that have played together since fourth grade, they go different routes in high school for whatever reason, their own personal choice. I, I just think it's, it's always a fun game to get these guys back together. So, you know, we, we're not going to, we're not going to question kids. I'm not going to treat a kid differently because I know he's going to go to Edina as opposed to going to Vanilla Blake, St. Thomas Academy. Um, you know, we just, we're developing basketball players. And, and if they're in our Edina system at an early age, I'm going to develop them regardless. And, if they come to Medina and play for me and, and, you know, they're a two year starter. Great. If they come up against me and, and we've had a few of them at, at Benilde and, you know, get hot at the right time. And then they're in front of our bench and I know the kid from youth camp and I can, you know, chirp in his ear a little bit and have that type of relationship with the kid that plays for Benilde. I mean, for kids to see that and recognize that, I think it's just, it's high school sports and we just try to keep it fun. That's good stuff. That's awesome. No, I, I, that, that's honorable of you. Cause I'm sure there's coaches uh, on the other end of it that are like, you know, maybe even unintentional, the unintentional bias towards kids like, well, that kid, I know that kid's going to this private school. So um, you don't, you don't, you don't build that same relationship. So I think that's really uh, impressive that you have that mindset. And I'm sure, like you said, your Holy Family experience plays into that as well. Uh, let's transition now to your ninth through 12 program. Uh, you know, before we get into, you know, your coaching philosophy and offensive stuff that we'll, we talked about going deep into here today. Uh, you had Chris Hopkins as an assistant coach. Now he's, uh, you obviously coached with him at Hamlin, yep. and he was one of your assistants at Edina. And now he's a head coach at St. Agnes. So what are some ways, and you mentioned the film with your current assistant coach, but what are some ways that you empower um, all of your lower level and assistant coaches to feel part of the varsity team? I think that's been probably my biggest area of growth, um, you know, since Hop left. Um, you know, him and I obviously had a history uh, an equal stay in those meetings where I think other assistants on staff, they go into that and they're just kind of like, you know, oh, Chris and Joe have been together for so long. I, I don't have as much of a say um, where it was just two guys in, in a four guy room kind of dominating the conversation. Um, so after Chris left and he was obviously, you know, his knowledge and everything very hard to replace. Um, 
you know, I had to make a concerted effort to just make sure that, that our assistants, you know, it wasn't just me and Chris and, and you know what I mean? We all have ideas. We're all, um, we're all interested in basketball. We're all interested in, in developing our program. You know, th there's no such thing as a wrong answer. And, um, you know, again, establishing that communication up front, but making sure your kids know, um, that this is, this is Youngworth's idea. Like, you know, we have a lot of film sessions and stuff like that. And then we'll go, we'll tweak something or, or, or we'll counter a certain action. And, and if it's Youngworth's idea, the kids know that. Um, and I think that that, you know, I spent, I spent four years as an assistant and, and just remembering how that would feel. Like anytime you'd get credit in front of the team, it's just like, you know, I'm not just here to keep track of timeouts and, you know what I mean? Player fouls on, on the bench. I'm here actually, you know, benefiting the program and, and, and installing different things and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think our assistants hear that and then that's just going to make them want to participate even more and make them work harder. And you know what I mean? I just think it's, it's best for everybody when, um, you know, you're, you're, you're giving your assistants credit. So I've, I've gone out of my way to make sure our kids know exactly what our, what our assistants are responsible for. I've gone out of our way to keep things loose with my assistants and, and not be, you know what I mean? They all have young families and stuff like that. We're, we're not killing each other over film and meetings. And, and sometimes after practice, if we have nothing to meet about. It's like, let's go home. Um, sometimes if we do, it's, you know, we try to limit the time spent together because we're on the court so much. Just using your time wisely and efficiently and, and respecting that, that these guys have a life off the court too. But, you know, I've been, I've been so blessed with assistants that are just in it for the right reasons. And, you know, I think, a lot of our success and a lot of our wins uh, against teams that on paper we may not have <laughs> had a shot at it is due to the work that these guys are doing in film and, and in meetings with me. That, I mean, you're only, you're only as good as your assistant coaches. I mean, I, I've been lucky to have a good staff. And that's kind of the, a lot of the reoccurring themes I've heard on these podcasts is, you know, these coaches who've had a lot of success right behind them is a really good assistant coaching staff that's uh, involved and is motivated to see the program succeed. Uh, but let's go into the offense side. I know that's something that you said was a strength of yours. Uh, you know, and I've seen a handful of your games with you playing some of our conference teams over the years, uh, and you guys run good stuff on offense. So for those that aren't familiar, talk about just generally what you guys run on offense. Uh, we're dribble drive. Um, that's kind of the foundation of, you know, just a motion team. Um, what we've turned into and, and, you know, I wouldn't say offense is a strength of mine. I kind of just fell into it by accident. Is, is learning how to do dribble drive under, you know, John Hedstrom in 07 when we had such a talented team and won the state tournament in 08 um, where you just line up three division one studs out there. And you know what I mean? Running dribble drive is really easy to do when you have guys that talented um, and then transitioning from job to job and, and having a different skill set of players. I've just kind of fallen into creative ways to, to get the defense moving and to put them at a disadvantage where, the, where dribble drive looks will be there. So, you know, I learned at Holy family instead of getting, frustrated with my guys of, you know, watching film and, and pausing the film in the film room being like, you know, how's the defense playing this, having the kid identify it and then wondering why he didn't counter it the way that we've practiced. So instead of getting frustrated, if I recognize it on the sideline, we just started attaching calls to things. You know, I see how a defense is playing. I'll put a call to it. And our guys, our guys know what that means. And now we know, you know, I can, I can basically stand and practice five on breakdown go through our terms and terminology and, and, and they run it and you know, it, it's dribble drive with a lot of, not a lot of control, I wouldn't say, but um, 
not not control, not restrictions. It's it, it's it's a more structured dribble drive that we run. And then Hop got there, and and the two guard stuff. Um, I ran a few two guard sets at Holy Family. Hop got there with his knowledge of the two guard from D line, and and just taking some continuity stuff, not making it continuity just to get the 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 defense moving their feet and stuff like that. Running something one reversal or two reversals through, and then we're just into our motion. So it's worked out for us. I, I get really you know, I get smart basketball players that just, I have the benefit of showing them something on film, whether it's the Celtics running a set, whether it's, you know what I mean? And, and them just being able to pick up on it and, and execute it on the floor. So it, yeah, short answer long or, or long answer is dribble drive, but we have a lot of calls and stuff like that incorporated into it. I do want to talk about these calls here in a second, but I want to just kind of get to the, to the, the core of your dribble drive. What, what are some of your main teaching points? So if, so if I'm a coach listening to this, who maybe I've always been just a pass screen away motion team, or I've been a continuity team and I'm like, you know, I've heard a lot of dribble drive stuff where they've seen dribble drive stuff. What would be some of the main teaching points that you would uh, mention to a coach who is looking to make that switch? You know, spacing is huge. Um, every, every place that I've been, every time we've installed it, we've, we've taped X's on the floor. Um, you know, to get those corners filled, to get your guards one through four, understanding that if they're inside a three-point line without the basketball, they've got to sprint out. They got to bump a guy. They, they, they've got to move. As far as the dribble drive of it, um, getting kids to buy in that uh, they got to be quick decision makers. And they've got to, if they're attacking, you know, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to go from a top slot to a wing and, and knowing I'm probably going to dribble handoff to this guy, don't dribble at your teammate, dribble at your teammate's defender. And the spacing and stuff like that, it's, it, it, that makes such a big difference. So you're not initiating your offense by that volleyball service line. You're actually initiating your offense on the three point line and, and putting the defense in a position where they've got to, they've got to make more of a decision. So the spacing is key, giving your kids cues on, you know, where to go downhill, how to get to a drop zone, where to go after they give the ball up. And, you know, obviously the small detail of, of dribbling at your teammates defender. Uh, two concepts I want to know how prevalent they are in your offense. First one, off-ball screen, and then second one, uh, pick and roll. How do you incorporate those, or do you just not incorporate them at all? No, we do. So, so obviously, we're not a true dribble-drive team because we, we do a ton of screens. Um, everything we do weak side, instead of weak side interchanges to occupy the help, we set low man. Low man on the weak side is always told to set players. Whether or not that's a, that's a look that we're trying to get, we've just found that that off the ball screen and, and it's just given defense on film more to worry about um, the communication piece and stuff like that defensively to have to always account for a guy like a shooter going weak side off a of flare is, is huge. And if our guys with the ball on the left side of the floor, just, you know, toying around with it a little bit too much, we'll continue to set flares. The low man sets that. Um, we always follow most of our actions uh, with our five man coming up. Um, and setting a wing ball screen. You know, obviously we have calls like everybody else does, you know, just do real quick, which is a wing ball screen and get into it. Um, but we have reads for our five man. Our five man knows that if, you know, after any guard to guard, you know, slot to wing pass where that, that guard is going to screen that wing guy, if he slips it, that's the read for my five man to then vacate his spot, come up and then follow it with the ball screen. Because if that slip is not open, it's most likely because that, that X5 is the guy that's, that's in that deep help in the lane. And then I'm going to have an unhedged ball screen um, on the wing with one of my better guards. Are your four guard spots interchangeable or do you have, you know, this guy in the slot, this guy corner, this guy corner, do you number guys all off one through four or go ahead? Sorry. All, yeah. All interchangeable. Okay. So you pretty much just, go ahead. Um, 
you know, like years past, Anders Nelson, who's, who's having a great career at St. Thomas right now, uh, was our point guard. But we found I mean, he was so good catch and shoot. And he's so good off the ball and, and just creative ways that, you know, I don't want to tell a kid who's, you know, playing behind Walt McGrory all of his career. And, and now he's finally the point guard in our system. I wasn't going to move him up the point, but all I made calls where he would just, you know, you're going to dribble handoff <laughs> to initiate the set. And then you're coming back and, and just creative ways of getting, getting our best players off the ball as well with it. But that's, as, that's about as much structure as we have of just dictating where guys are going to go one through four. What are some of your calls? Uh, obviously, you know, you're going to have some opponents probably tuning into this. So obviously be a, keep as what as close to the vest as you want, but uh, what are some of your calls or actions that are kind of the cornerstones of your offense? Yeah, it's no secret. Um, you know, our calls are a lot of numbered calls. Um, you know, a 14 is just, you know, we're going to reverse one through four. So traditionally, if you're just on a whiteboard, you're, you're one man's, you know, say on the right slot, four man's on the left slot trailing. Um, any pass one through four, that four man does a full reversal. We're going to 14 that. And that 14 is that that four man hits that two, follows it. He slips it, signifying the, the five to come up instead of, instead of ball screen. Um, the 12 action is that that handoff give and go. Um, we've got an 11 out of that when teams start, you know what I mean? Like sitting on that give and go. Um, we've got that dribble handoff and instead of a give and go, that five man who's coming to set that trailing ball screen is going to set a flare for the guy who was going give and go hard to explain without a whiteboard, but, um, so just different numbered calls where, you know, we'll call it out in practice and it, it's gotten to the point some of the guys that have gotten a lot of RC experience, it's now finally to the point where I wanted it to get to where they just, they see what the defense is doing and they just automatically run into these. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk more about your, you know, dribble handoff, as you mentioned, you know, in your sets and just in the basics of your offense, how do you teach, do you, uh, how much do you really break down dribble handoff? Cause when you do a dribble handoff, it's not just a, oh, I'm just going to dribble over kind of throw it to the guy and clear out. I mean, like you said, you mentioned you want to attack the defender. You can obviously fake the handoff and turn the corner. So how do you, it seems like that's kind of the core of where you start. So how do you, how do you break that down in practice? So, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll do guard post breakdown. Um, haven't had a ton of posts numbers wise in our program, but you know, two, three guys will be down with, with coach Youngworth. I'll have our guards down and, and, you know, we start out real simple and just break it down. It's, you know, four lines. And basically in our four guard spots, we'll do, we'll run two on all drills. So we'll stagger it. Um, and, and like the top slot guy will be partnered with the opposite corner and we'll just go one side at a time. And, and I call out the action we want. If it's just, you know, drop loop, dribble handoff, that's what these guys are told to do. They know you know, whether it's a coach standing there or a manager standing there, they're dribbling at the, def the, the fake defense and, and we'll go through that for a couple of minutes. Then we'll do 12 action. Then we'll do 14 action. Then we'll do 11 action. Um, then I'll say, I need, you know, I need three of something is the terminology I'll use. Just keep it simple. I'll, I'll need three of something before we look to score. Um, and then that helps too when we're, we're playing against Hopkins and I want to slow my guys down they'll hear me yell from the sideline during the game, like, give me three of something. That means I need, a, I need an 11, I need a 12, I need a 14, I need three 14s, I don't care, but I need ball reversals and I need three of something before we're getting our head down and, and, and trying to get going. Um, so that's just, that's our guard breakdown. We start um, 2 on 0, then we'll go 3 on 0, then we'll go 4 on 0, and, and basically with me at half court, just kind of screaming what we're doing. 
So why the, uh, come, coming back to something I have in my notes here, coming back to something you said a few minutes ago, why the flare versus the pin down on the weak side? We've had really good shooters um, that know how to read that flare real well. And we've had really good screeners that know how to slip that flare real well. Um, and I think people, most of our conference, are, they're used to the pin down action and stuff like that. And I just kind of dangle a carrot in front of my guys to actually do something weak side and make the help work. Um, you know, that's just something that, that we added in three years ago that, that we've gotten really good looks off of. Um, you know, whether, you know, Jack Middleton, who's at UMD right now, um, he was, he was a focal point of our offense his senior year and everyone knew to try to take him away. And, and Jacob Hudson slipping that flare screen that he'd set for Jack just made a living off of that. And, and I don't know, I think it, it supplies a few more options than just your traditional pin down. How much do you add during the season? You mentioned you have really coachable, really uh, intelligent student athletes in your program. So how much stuff do you add and when do you know that they can handle more information and they've mastered what you already have uh, set for them? We actually, we add quite a bit. Um, so our guys know going in, like the foundation of our offense is just, you know, the structured dribble drive, the terminology, all, you know, uh, what to do when they switch dribble handoff, stuff like that. Um, and then as you know, as a high school coach, I mean, your the makeup of your team changes every year. Like last year we were huge, you know, we, we didn't have the experienced guard play that, that I've been lucky enough to have the previous six years. Um, but I had a division one, six, 10 kid. I had a, you know, division one O lineman who's, you know, you couldn't move the kid and you six, six, two eighty. Um, so we played, we played a little different, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, our sets break down or our calls break down. We know that we're in our emotion. Um, so during the course of the year, you know, we don't get real creative with out of balance stuff until about February. Um, our sets and stuff like that kind of cater to, to what we do. And then once we kind of go through seven, eight games and see how teams are defending us, add counters and stuff to our sets. Um, but we're constantly throwing stuff at our guys and, and just, you know, not playing a new way of basketball by any means at the end of the season, but we just, we have a ton of options where we come up with something or I see something I like on Twitter or something like that, run it, see how people try to take it away and then add counters to that. So that by March, it's just, we, we have a huge playbook and our guys don't even know it type of switching, thing. switching. How do you, uh, teams are switching your handoffs and they're switching your, you know, if it's a handoff into a ball screen or if it's a, you know, if it's a flare screen, uh, just talk about their, your philosophy in general against the switching team. Yeah, we're, we're moving the ball fast. Um, and our guys know it's just like you, you see the chest of, of a guy that's not your defender. You're, you're looking to kick that back to where you got it from. So that, that dribble handoff give and go has been huge for us. Those slip cuts anytime. I mean, we play very aggressive teams defensively um, that are not going to let you turn the corner. that are not going to let you get to the middle of the floor on them. Um, you know what I mean? Just, just keeping it same side and using a ton of misdirection and stuff like that where our guys just kind of know where to go with the ball before they get it. Um, it has been huge for us. How involved is the five in your offense? Do you play through the five a lot or are they more of a screener? Are they more looking for uh, drop-offs in the, in, in the dunker spot? How involved are they? Yeah, we did. We've changed it quite a bit. You know, obviously having Jacob Hudson the last few years has been, has been huge and, and just incorporating, you know, running, we ran everything through him last year. Um, but even two years ago, three years ago, of just having him flash the high post and, and, and just a lot of the chin stuff that you see. Um, and, you know, I mentioned Jack Middleton before, who was huge for us two years ago, but just putting him and Jacob on the same side of the floor and, and you know, our point guard would hit Jacob flashing high to the high post. And then, 
just chin options off that because Jack was so smart, whether he's coming off for a dribble handoff or whether he was going to, you know what I mean, cut back door real quick. Um, we incorporate our five quite a bit. That That's not your traditional dribble drive where he's just kind of, you know what I mean, swimming under the, under the basket uh, block to block. It, it, it's not like that. We have him moving quite a bit. Um, we have him setting a ton of ball screens. Um, and then, you know, if, if we have an advantage, we have, a, we have so many sets to, to get, get our guys the ball where, where they want it. We, we, we dove into the, uh, the half court side of things here for probably the last 15 minutes or so. I want to take a step back and hear about your guy. What are you guys looking to do uh, off of a, uh, let's say off of a live ball rebound? What does your transition or secondary offense look like? So we are, we're off and running. Um, this is another thing, and, and I've charted the last three years, and, and traditionalists will hate it. Um, I love that phrase, by the way. I love if it's whatever it is in life, if it's cooking, <laughs> coaching, teaching, whatever, uh, traditionalists will hate that. That's one of my favorite phrases. So my, I'm all ears right now, man. I'm, I'm ready to write this down. Uh, so, yeah, so basically we've, we've identified kind of a funnel. Um, 18 feet out, we exclude the corners. Uh, but if you're contesting any jump shot 18 feet out inside that funnel, you're off and running. Um, you're not boxing out the shooter. It's not cool for high school kids to follow their shot. It's not. You're not going to see many of them do it. And, you know, I, I got this idea watching Open Gym about four years ago and, and just the easy scoring opportunities created off of that because we always have a guy running. And then by accident, we found we're defending the three better. We're getting guys out there and actually flying at shooters more aggressively because they know they're either getting a dunk or a layup on the other end. Um, so we're releasing a guy at all times. And it gives the shooter something to think about. Like he releases the ball. He's like, oh, I got to backpedal and start sprinting right away. And the last three years, um, it's some, I, I looked at it in March. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's something along the lines of we're scoring 2.9 points a game the last three years and, and giving up 0.6. And that's with me applying three. So if we, on the second chance, somebody gets an O board because we ran out, um, obviously they get the second chance points that they receive out of that. If they get fouled, I'm giving, I'm giving the opponents three points. So, so charting it that way, it's, it's to our benefit. We're, we're scoring more than two points a game and our opponent's doing it that way. So we're often running. He doesn't get the ball in transition. You know, he's getting to a corner. We're getting spaced. We've always got a, you know, a four or five trailing basically it's a foot race to the middle of the lane between our four and five, whoever gets it first. If it's our four man, he gets a full reversal down there and then he's setting a back screen for our five to get kind of get into it. That's kind of our secondary. What I liked about what you just said there was two things. One is he gets that guy space. He gets you right into your offense. So like you got your, that, that guy's already stretching the floor and making the defense guard baseline to baseline. The other piece of that is that just the idea of, taking what you see in open gym. Right? I think there's so many coaches, like you said, traditionalists go, oh, this is crap basketball, right? Oh, wait till we get our hands on them in November. It's like, you, you get a it's chance in like, it's how they play, right? You get to know your kids. You get to see what, what they're comfortable doing. So as coaches, you know, it's like in teaching, we got to meet kids where they're at. If this kid's really good at leaking out and, and, this, and attacking in transition, why make them become a half-court kid? Let's let them get out and go in transition. I think that's awesome. Exactly. And that's great looking at what your guys do and, and adapting it to your program. Um, last thing here offensively, we talked about you, you watch a lot of film and you have your assistants on stuff and you're able to, you know, have a good solid 20 to 30 minute film session with your guys. Uh, when you're scouting another team and, and you're looking at them defensively, so for your offense, what are some of the big um, things you're looking to uh, uh, write down? Yeah, I'm looking to see, I'm looking to see, first of all, who they're not going to guard. Um, I think that's, that's become a huge defensive trend in high school is just 
you know, unfortunately not all of us have five scoring threats on the floor at all times. I wish we did. We don't. Um, so when I'm watching, whether it's film on, you know, them playing us or, or, you know, scouting them live against somebody else or, or playing anybody else, I'm, I'm going to see if, if there are five defenders matched up to five offensive guys in a half court. Um, more times than not, you know, a lot of the teams we play, they've, they've got a guy, sometimes even two, sort of dedicated as an extra helper. Um, so I'm looking to see what that is. I'm looking to see how I'm going to take advantage of that. And then I'm kind of assuming or, or trying to guess who they're going to do that, not guard for our team. Um, and, and those are little wrinkles that we'll add. You know, I'm obviously going to see how they, with a lot of what we do with dribble handoff stuff and a lot of what we do with ball screens, how they defend those two things. Um, and then, you know, their, their transition D and, and, and see if I can get anything easy off of them. See if I can, you know, I, I watched during free throws. Um, you know, if they're doing anything special to, you know, if I could steal two, four points off a simple sideline free throw break that I think everyone's running middle school, you know, if I'm going against a team that doesn't really pay attention, I'm going to add that for that game. So little things like that, anything that's going to get us two to four points a game. I know in your league, you probably don't see a lot of this with the teams that you guys play, but what is your philosophy with zone offense? We're going to exploit the short corner. Um, so we got a guy down there. You know, we, we don't see it often. Um, but when we do, I mean, we, we've got a few specials and stuff like that. And then, and then it's just our guards have to move. We'll go three out, two in, um, four and five are occupying the short corner in the high post. You know, they'll, they'll X off a ball reversal. And I think the biggest piece for us is just to always get our guards moving. Um, so, again, they, whether it's a simple slam screen from the weak side and just, you know, we, we enter the ball to the right that left guard going and, and setting the screen on the opposite guy, um, bringing our top guy to the left and then him popping up. Like there's always got to be movement for us. Um, and then on any high post, high post catch, um, those guards on the wings are, are sinking to the corner for, you know, that that's the wide open area and just finding that open window. So we don't see it a lot. Um, you know, there've been times that, that teams have gone zone against us and, you know, we'll, we'll either have specials to get them out of it or, you know, just a decent job of running our 32 zone offense. How many set plays do you guys have? Uh, zone, man, everything combined. Not baseline, not sideline stuff. Just simply half court, man, or zone offense. How many sets do you have in February? Uh, so set wise, so this this isn't obviously including what we talked about earlier on. So so none of the counter stuff for emotion. So you know, not including our yep. 11, 12, 14 calls. Uh, All together, probably 35, 40 sets. Um, but a lot of it, like I said, we, we will have packages. So we'll have an alignment, like a box alignment, UNC, for example. Um, and then we have five, five plays for UNC. So just, you know, we'll have a cross alignment and we'll have five plays for a cross. We'll have, you know, a high one, four alignment. We'll have, you know, probably 10 specials out of a high one, four. Um, so our guys know it's just, it, it's subsets of different packages and alignments that we'll throw out there. And then, when teams start sitting on it, we'll just run it out of different alignments and the same type of action and the screens coming from the same spot. Our guys just set up differently. That's that to me, that's nuts. But you mentioned, I, I don't know if we are, if we had 10, but you know, that's, uh, that's, that's crazy. Um, it's a lot I don't know more. It. Yeah. I want to know I've more about that. So uh, yeah, go ahead. So how, um, how do you progress? Do you, are, I mean, I'm guessing you probably overlap, you know, you have guys who play more than one year. Uh, are you running these at ninth grade, sophomore JV? Uh, and then obviously you're evolving those throughout the year. So talk about that process of installing all these because you know, 35 is a, is, a, is, a, is a large number, which obviously works for you guys. You've had a lot of success there. 
Um, and so talk about how you, you know, what the installation process of that looks like. Yeah. And I've never wanted to be that coach where you just, you know, we're not telling guys to just like run to a certain spot on the floor. These are all based in, and calls based on how the defense is going to take things away. So, you know, in these packages, basically sophomore, sophomore levels running the same stuff that we are. JV's running the same stuff that we are. Um, you know, we, we got a brand new facility two years ago where I can have practices with, you know, sophomore JV and varsity all in the same gym um, and just breaking things down. And, and, and like the teaching points to the kids of just, you know, it's a different play call, but, but basically we're just, we're taking what the defense has given us because we've been running this play to death and they're now jumping to the ball in a different way. Now we're going to just come at it from a different direction and that's just a different play call. Um, so it sounds, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds, you know, you guys run way too many sets and it, it really is all just reads that we're giving names to, um, and, and counters and stuff like that, which gives our guys, you know, the happiest I am as a coach is in, in February, March. Um, you know, I'll call, I'll call UNC blue, which is, I'm thinking he's going to get the ball on the left block. if We run it the way it's supposed to be run, but you know, Huddy read his guy and he went the other way and the guy setting the screen for him read what Huddy's guy was doing and, and they broke off the play that I called to counter it. And, and I think installing it in certain ways early on in the season, it, it gives kids the knowledge of, of what we're trying to look for and, and, and they're making reads on their own that way. No, that's, I, that's good. I like that you talked about the, the, the different packages that you have and it's not like 35 just rogue plays that all look yeah. different. Right. Well, and so I, that kid, yeah. Oh. yeah. Uh, last thing I'm going to, I'm going to throw, throw two things at you. I'm gonna try to mix these up as you know, like this is like the 28th or 29th of these that I've done. I'm gonna try to do situations now and you're, you're the Guinea pig here. So at the end, I'm gonna have two situations. Now I'm trying to do for every guest moving forward to kind of, as we're getting a little bit closer to the season, get into some more, a little bit more um, outside of the, uh, the holistic stuff and get a little bit more specific to some X's and O's related stuff. So situations here, you get a couple simple ones. All right. So you're up three, you're on defense, eight seconds left up three defense, eight seconds. Are you, are you a foul guy or do you let them play? We're a foul guy. I'm a foul guy. Less than eight. I'd say anything over eight, eight is kind of the threshold though. Um, I just think there's so many things you can do. And if there's more time on the clock of just climbing over somebody's back, if you're in that position and somebody does it to you, um, putting that official in a position where he's got to make a call. Um, I think eight seconds, though, you're, you're pretty safe. We're going to foul. I've been, I've been burnt too many times by guys hitting last-second threes to tie it on us. So, um, yeah, I'm a foul guy and, and just making sure we're, we're securing that rebound. And then um, down one, you have the ball, full court 20 seconds. So down one, you have the ball, full court 20 seconds. How quickly are you looking at, to attack? Uh, we'll attack at seven. Okay. So we'll, so is this like we get a rebound or is it dead or are we inbounding? Yeah, with either way, just philosophically, you're down, you just changed possessions, 20 seconds left, you're down one. When's the latest yes. you want to get a shot? Uh, we're going to see if we can run. Um, if we can't, 20 seconds. And then my point guard is basically, you know, he's taking, taking eight seconds to get a pass half court, um, getting his guys situated. And, and if we have a call, great. If he sees something, depending on who my point guard is at the time, if I had, if I had Durs or Walt McGorry, um, you know, Jack Middleton, we're probably going four low and, and he's attacking at seven. That's good stuff. Coach, anything else you want to share uh, with, with the coaching world out, out there? No, I just, I appreciate all this, you know, just kind of taking a deep dive and jumping into Twitter. And, you know, everyone's been making the joke during quarantine of, 
their screen time every Sunday when, you know, your, your iPhone is telling you how much you're on your social networking and stuff like that. Um, me realizing a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I'm not getting any better just looking at whatever's on Twitter and, and, and just kind of jumping in and, you know, talking to coaches and, and the DMs I've received in the last week and a half and stuff like that. It's just, it's fun conversation. So for you to do the podcast and stuff like that and take the time out of your day to, you know, bring in guests and, and talk to different coaches and, and an opportunity for us to kind of just share all our, all our ideas. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a cool thing we have going in Minnesota and it's, it's, you know, it's good that you're putting all this together. So I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you saying that it's been, you know, really informational for me. So I, I've probably learned more than anyone doing this. So uh, it, it's self, a it, little bit selfish motivations, but I'm glad other people could learn from it as well. I know I've been uh, taking a lot of notes and I have a sheet or two from every guest. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. So coach, uh, best of luck here as you know, I think teams will start getting more into the gyms here in the next few weeks and, you know, some, you know, breakdown or inner squad or scrimmage type stuff's going to take, uh, um, come forward. Best of luck with those and, uh, stay safe and have a good rest of your summer coach. You as well, coach. Appreciate it.